Somewhere in the bowels of the city that never sleeps. Kevin McCullough, radio host with Salem Media. Is a man also not sleeping. Syndicated radio talk show host Kevin McCullough. And that guy would like a word with you. Many of you know him from his looks for Damas. Of course that Kevin show is going to be great. The only thing that could be greater, of course, would be that Donald show. But we don't have that, so we have that Kevin show. Featuring the music of Dick Tunney and the Dream in Color Orchestra. Yet to come, he's a ranking officer in an army of normal folks. Coach Bill Courtney, Dr. Joel Velkamp with good news. And back in the spotlight, the national treasure that is Dolly Parton. And now, from Times Square, where former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie has been spotted panhandling for Krispy Kremes, all while waiting his guest appearance on Hugh Hewitt, here's that Kevin! Dave, that actually might really be true. I mean, he's on Hugh's show all the time. All right, here we go. Time for Assignment Desk Weekend. Let's do it. top secret move this week, the Department of Justice took steps towards dropping the charges against one Hunter Biden in the now defunct plea bargain case in Delaware. And this on the heels of changing the prosecutor's status to that of special counsel. And this on the heels of a new photo emerging, connecting President Biden with one of Hunter Biden's business associates. And this on the heel of a new report claiming that the dime bag of cocaine in the White House came from inside the president's personal orbit. Also overheard at the White House, where's that Georgia indictment already? Speaking of legal fights, MSNBC has continued its nonstop wall-to-wall coverage of the Trump indictments, and this week turned to legal scholar the Reverend Al Sharpton. Well, we know he knows a thing or two about running afoul of the law. Anyway, Sharpton attempted some historical perspective on the charges that Trump is facing regarding January 6th. One day, our children's children will read American history. And can you imagine our reading that James Madison or Thomas Jefferson tried to overthrow the government so they could stay in power? That's what we're looking at. We're looking at American history. American history, obviously, he knows a great deal about since Madison and Jefferson and most of the rest of the founders overthrew the most powerful government on the planet at the time to create America. Because the government was taking away lots of just basic rights, like freedom to speak. Speaking of tyranny, it's now considered the status quo, at least according to a judge in Idaho who this week blocked a new law. The new law that would require students to use bathrooms, locker rooms, and showers that aligned with their biological sex. And his reasoning, preserving the status quo is the most fitting approach at the current juncture. Status quo. 
because there's not thousands of years of precedent of people identifying with their biological sex. News from Down Under. A mom has refused to rid her daughter's hair of lice because she's vegan. Look like no one's asking you to eat the lice. You can't force you to, to, although it might be a good source of protein, but, you know, if you're vegan, you're vegan. Uh, But either way, Assignment Desk Weekend does not care. But Assignment Desk Weekend does caution you because Assignment Desk Weekend had this story brought to our attention by the bride of the host of Assignment Desk Weekend. And when you have fought lice in the local school level, look, lady, you don't have to eat them. But if you, if you insist on bringing that situation into this school, you will have a fight on your hands that you've never seen before. Just ask any mom. Finally, former Vice President Mike Pence took a swipe at President Biden this week when asked his thoughts on the Hunter Biden special prosecutor. Pence very slyly slipped in. When I was VP, my son was flying the F-35 defending this country. Then he looked into the camera and said, want to see my new campaign commercial? Everybody, Mike Pence here. Remember $2 a gallon gas? I do. And then Joe Biden became president of the United States and launched his war on energy. Since that time, gasoline prices are up 60%. Electricity prices are up 25%. Joe Biden's war on energy is causing real hardship for working families, small businesses, and family farms. But we've got a plan to relieve all of that. We just unveiled the Pence Energy Plan that'll not only put our country back on a path to energy independence, but by 2040, we will reclaim America's role as the leading producer of energy in the world. Join us in the fight for American energy leadership by going to MikePence2024.com. We can lead the world once again to a more prosperous and a secure future for America with energy independence and American energy leadership. And that's Assignment Desk Weekend. Chemistry? I did. Fuck. I lots of chemistry in middle school, I ain't gonna lie. It's like one oxygen with two hydrogens coming out of it. We call it H2O. Yeah, H2O. H- and then H2N. Yeah, do you know like what it is? I, took, I ain't gonna lie. I took chemistry in middle school, I ain't gonna lie. Take a guess, take a guess. What is H2O? Huh? Guess what it is. Oxygen? Yes. How many world wars were there? Three. Yes. Do you know what the capital of the USA is? The USA? Yes, like the capital of it. USA? (laughs) Yeah, like do you know the capital of it is? No. Take a guess. That's my answer, USA. Yes, you're right. That was was a trick question. That was my bad. Do you know what country Joe Biden was originally from? No, but I know where he belongs. Where? And dead. In, All right. in the grave. Yeah, if you had to guess where he was born. I, no, I, do, I don't give a care. I don't care about him. Do you know what country was invaded in the Iraq war? Iraq? 
It was invaded? Russia? Give me a final guess. Vietnam? Yes. If it's quarter past 12 in Boston, what time is it in New York City? 6 a.m. Yes. Can you tell me what time this is? 2.10. Yes. Can you point to where we are? I got you. We around here, the whole thing. How many moons does the Earth have? One. Are you sure? Oh, the Earth. Yeah, the Earth. Ah, uh, 12. Yes. Nice. What country is the Panama Canal in? Italy. Yeah. Do you know who the first president of the USA was? No, I don't. Give I know. your best guess. I really don't. Some... Oh, wait. Is it Abraham Lincoln? Yes. Do you know what two countries border the U.S.? What? What two countries border the U.S.? Uh, what's like the country above us and below us? South America, North America. Yes. Do you know how long each president serves their term? Six years, but they can go for 12. Depends, like, if people re-elect them. Yes. yes. Do you know what 77 plus 23 is? Around what number? Give me a number. I'm trying to be. It's like, I don't know. 121? Yes. How many sides a Pentagon has? Eight. Yes. You know what 77 plus 23 is? Um, 93? No, just 90. How many stars are on the flag? 47. Yes. Hi there, it's your favorite president, 45. And me, the senator from Delaware. Fine, be the senator. I'm tired of telling you. Wait. What? But we wanted to congratulate two great radio stations on bringing that Kevin show to the heart of Oklahoma. But I told you I don't really like that Kevin show. Well, Joe, supposedly you don't like Coke either, but someone left it in the library. Well, true. So anyway, thanks to AM 890 KTLR and 103.7 FM in Oklahoma City. And just like always, you can always stream that Kevin show on YouTube or Instagram or commercial free on Rumble. Love that Rumble. So, are we done yet? I think so, Mr. Senator. Why? Oh, well, because Hunter had asked me to say hi to a business associate of his, and I needed to go get my burner phone. Ready or not, we'll be right back. guest has won an Academy Award. He has walked a red carpet. He has held a championship trophy above him, and now he's jumped into the world of podcasting. Exactly why he's done all of that is the mission of the next few minutes here at That Kevin Show. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and welcome Coach Bill Courtney. Hello, Bill. Hey, I'm great. How are you? We're glad to have you. So a buddy of mine that works in the podcast industry, which is, you know, ever ballooning all the time. There's like billions and billions of podcasts out there. uh, Calls me up two weeks ago and says, Kev, you got to talk to this guy. 
uh, what he's doing by way of this new spoken word audio stuff is really, really powerful. And he sent me a link to a couple of your episodes, and I was really uh, pleased to get them. I remember when the podcast Our American Stories kind of came out and kind of the the grassroots hometown feel it tried to capture and telling some really powerful stuff. I know that they've kind of started largely focusing on historical and other types of figures now. Uh, so I was really, really pleased to see an army of normal folks uh, coming along and coach, you are the, uh, you are the, the engine that can with this. Um, <laughs> you've only been doing it a couple of months. Do you like podcasting? Yeah. I mean, do I like podcasting? As you would know, there's a lot of work that goes in <laughs> behind getting guests and studying them and, and trying to be relative. You know, that part, I guess, is more for the producers than me. What I've enjoyed in, and continue to enjoy is traveling across the country, meeting these fantastic, amazing, normal human beings who are doing incredible things in their corners of the world that we never hear about because yeah. Fox and CNN and the big national news, they're, they're really not incented to continue their power and money by telling stories of just normal people. And so we don't get these stories. And so I'm getting to meet these folks face to face. And that part is, is phenomenal. And, and frankly, it's inspiring. I mean, if you think about uh, where America was as the pioneers rolled across the plains until they eventually reached the West Coast. We were a nation that was built on narrative and tradition and storytelling that I think on some level, the fancier the technology got, uh, the worse we got at it. <laughs> and I'm kind of excited to see that there are storytellers that are coming back to kind of the the essence of what this is. Um, it seems to me the strength of your show is that there, there are powerful stories in everyday life. I believe with everything I am that we can be a forward thinking, evolving society without abandoning the core principles that guided us here in the first place. My book against the grain is those tenets and fundamentals of character, commitment, integrity, the dignity of hard work, the, the old school stuff, but exploring them in our new culture and our evolving society um, and, and how they can coexist is, is, is interesting, but I, I think also uplifting. And it can also remind us that, you know, ultimately we're human beings mm -hmm. and, we need to start having conversations about race and creed and politics and and school of thought without fear of being canceled or fear of societal preconceived notions saying, oh, you vote this way, so you must be this kind of person. We need to ha start having these conversations, but do it in a, in a civil, non-threatening way. Uh, to recapture what once defined us, which was, I may disagree with what you're saying, but I'll defend with my life your right to say it. Yeah, we, We're getting away from that, and we do that at our own peril. And um, I have enjoyed the, the platform that I've been given as a result of Undefeated to uh, have those conversations in my book, to have those conversations in speeches, and now to 
have a greater conversation about that with an army of normal folks. And I'll just warn you ahead of time, it'll get in your blood and you'll be addicted to it. You won't be able to quit it uh, after a while. <laughs> um, we're speaking with Coach Bill Courtney, uh, who just made reference to his book and the movie Undefeated that won the Academy Award uh, in 2012. But Coach, take us back before that. Uh, who is Bill Courtney? Where did you come from and how did you arrive at the reality that these conversations were even something that we needed to have? I grew up in Memphis. My father left home when I was four. He died this year, and somebody gave me a phone call and let me know. No relationship with him. Mom was married and divorced five times. My fourth daddy shot at me down a hallway. I had to dive out a window to save myself. I never had a front yard. I grew up in apartments. My mom loved me. I love my mom, but, you know, the way I came up was not uh, – not let's say beaver cleaver organic at all and i went off to college and you know the people who i don't know where i'd be without my coaches mm -hmm. i don't know where i'd been without the people who invested in my life and when you're a young strapping 17 16 year old and no man you've ever met has stayed around in your life you you do despite the outward bravado you do start to have insecurities and wonder you know what is so wrong with me that I'm I'm so valueless that someone doesn't want to invest their time and effort in me? And so I came up with this yearning to um to to prove my myself valuable. And um I got married to a beautiful woman, had four children that I'm still married to and my family, and I, I started coaching football because I thought that was my way of giving back because the very coaches invested in me i wanted to invest in and sure so as i built my business and continued to coach football i happened to start coaching in an inner city team uh they had won four games in 10 years and they had 19 kids on a varsity football team they were terrible and over the course of seven years we went from that to a team that was one of the best teams in the state 18 and two our last two years 75 kids on the team and in a very impoverished area of North Memphis where an 18-year-old male by his 21st birthday is three times more likely to be dead or incarcerated than he is to have a job or be in college. And along come these goofy guys from Hollywood that said, we want to make a movie about all this. And we think, whatever, you know, I'm from Memphis. I'm not from Hollywood. I'm a football coach and I own a lumber company. Who's going to make a movie about that? We think we might see it. If it ever got made, we might see it on channel 422 one Wednesday at 2 a.m. <laughs> and two years later, we're walking down the red carpet at the Academy Awards and won. And all of a sudden, this thing that I thought might be 20 seconds of fame kind of catapulted me to, to be able to have a, a platform to have the conversations about stuff that matters, just like just like what I said earlier. And so where I come from, I'm a kid from a broken home in Memphis who didn't have much and was blessed to find my wife and build a family and got lucky and built a, a, a really nice business, continue to coach football because that's where my passion was. And um, through an odd set of extraordinary circumstances, I'm talking to guys like you. Well, now you are the host of An Army of Normal Folks, the podcast. Friends, go subscribe anywhere you get your podcast. We're coming right back with Coach Bill Courtney here on That Kevin Show. Don't go away.
ready or not. He'll be right back. For some inspired listening, the uh, Army of Normal Folks is a podcast I highly recommend. Uh, everyday people making extraordinary differences uh, where they live and in the uh, in the lives that they are living, uh, but doing so in a way that is significant. And uh, Coach Bill Courtney is the host of that. There's a lot of components to your life: the broken home, the um, uh, urban inner city. Uh, the uh, lack of father uh, figures in your life, at least uh, from a family perspective. And yet you somehow figured out to, to how to stay married, raise your children, and be a mentor to others that go beyond your own uh, familial boundaries. This is a message that's not being taught in a lot of places that are similar to inner city Memphis across the country. What do we have to do? For many years, I carried my fatherlessness uh, around my shoulders, around my heart. And my wife once looked at me when I was about 35 and said, do you know you're a jerk every Christmas, Thanksgiving, and Father's Day? And I'm like, no, I'm not a jerk. She said, yeah, you're thanks, a dear. Yeah, th thanks, hon. Th thanks for helping me with all my trauma. Um, she and And I didn't really recognize it. And she said... You know, I, I understand it's been tough on you, but you have now four beautiful children who worship the ground you walk on and a wife who will be committed to you to the day you die. Don't you think it's time to quit being a victim by your past circumstances and start being a champion and a hero of what you've been blessed with? Mm. And that is just so true. Uh, we all have trauma. We all have problems. Normal people have money problems family problems, difficulties at work, uh, sadness and loss. It's just what normal people suffer. And you can either choose to be a victim of those circumstances or a champion of the tenets and fundamentals that help you overcome them. And it was my wife who kind of looked at me and said, man up, you know, figure it out, understand that you're no different than everybody else. Your circumstances themselves may be different, but we all have sadness, you know? And, and so um, for me, it was recognizing uh, my blessings rather than, than uh, capitulating on, on the losses and, and understanding that I'm no different than anybody else. That's where it changed for me. Well, and I would just like to, take that and carbon copy it and export it to every inner city here in New York, Philadelphia, Chicago, Detroit, Baltimore, uh, Portland, you go across the country and you see the same uh, ravages of fatherlessness. And it's not just on, uh, you know, one fella's life um, in one household. We're, we've raised a generation of boys that desperately need 
um, strong men to show them what strong manhood looks like. And I don't mean by strong manhood overbearing or in any way no. um, uh, hostile or abusive. What I'm talking about is inner strength, strength that reveals itself almost more in its restraint than ever in its application. Mm. And that's that's what you, you talk to Larry Elder, who's running for president, and any number of other uh, significant social leaders across the country, and they will tell you the fatherlessness epidemic that we've we've subjected a particular generation of men to has ha, will have enduring effect uh, on, on our generations to come. It, it, it will. We have to be very cautious, though, as we approach neighborhoods and parts of society that we are not familiar with to not talk first, but listen first. Mm -hmm. We can come off paternalistic if we immediately assume we know uh, about the realities of people that we have not yet listened to. So one of the biggest things is the first thing we gotta do is understand. And then once we understand, we seek to serve. But in doing so, we don't allow those we seek to serve to be victims of their circumstances but do it in a non-paternalistic way, in more of a mentoring uh, and service way. I, there are neighborhoods all over the United States. Mine has them, everybody has Memphis has them, every city has them, where when you drive by and you look down the street or you drive over and you look down the viaduct and you see the abject poverty and loss and despair, where you think, you know, somebody ought to do something about that one day, as if that sentiment matters. And I submit the sentiment means nothing. Right. Um, I suggest we kick that rearview mirror about 15 degrees to the left and look at ourselves and say, maybe I could do something small about that one day. Coach Bill Courtney, you're a big part of that solution. Thank you for spending some time with us tonight. Thanks so much for having me. Friends, you want to get the uh, the podcast, go to normalfolks.us, normalfolks.us. It's the easiest way to access everything that Coach Bill Courtney was just talking about, normalfolks.us. Kevin McCullough coming right back from Times Square. Don't go away. Ready or not, he'll be right back. guest is no stranger to my radio audience, but he has not always appeared with me uh, on the video or television side of things, but I'm very excited to welcome back uh, my next guest because he has a bit of good news for an organization that I care very, very much about. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Joel Velkamp. Hello, Joel. Good to see you, Kevin. Um, what happened this week? This week, uh, the organization I work for, Christian Solidarity International, got back its UN consultative status as an NGO after 24 years. Um, so 24 years ago, we had consultative status with the United Nations, which meant we could go to meetings, we could um, deliver remarks at sessions of the Human Rights Council. And um, in 1999, the government of Sudan decided that they had had enough of us and they rallied all their allies in the committee and stripped us of our status. 
Well, and so, let's go back to what was going on in 1999. So yeah. CSI, that was the war completed at that point, or were, was the was the Civil War still ongoing? The war was in full swing in 1999. That might have been the peak of it, actually. And Dr. Um, John Eibner and CSI were trying to rally the governments around the world to intervene and to basically draw up a peace plan that would let everybody go home and have kind of their own uh, territory, which ended up happening. Um, mm -hmm. But Sudan didn't like the fact that uh, CSI was was spearheading these interventions? Not at all. Not at all. At the time, the government of Sudan still thought that they could win the war by destroying the Christian population of South Sudan, basically. And one of the main ways that they were trying to destroy that population was through slavery. So I know, as your listeners know very well, Kevin, tens of thousands of African Christians were enslaved by the Sudanese government and its allies during these years and taken to the north as, right. as slaves, as war booty, essentially. And what CSI was doing and what we still do today is we use an underground network of traders to get people out of slavery. Yeah. Um, and in the 90s, this was shocking news, this was international news, and it was very embarrassing uh, for the government of Sudan. Um, and I guess their breaking point came when we asked the leader of the South Sudanese people to come to the UN with us to speak to the world on our behalf. And after that, um, Sudan and its allies rallied together and got CSI expelled uh, from having consultative status at the UN. Yeah, so let's talk about that term for a second. Consultative status, you said it allowed you to make presentations and to be part of meetings and so forth. What's what's the most significant reason why you're glad to have it back? Well, for us, it's a platform to speak for on behalf of the persecuted, right? And that's why we weren't actually that sad when we lost it in 1999, because we had used it for what it was for, as far as we were concerned. We had used that platform to give a voice to the persecuted people of South Sudan, and um, it got a lot of attention, and it got maybe even more attention when we were kicked out. Uh, so that was a success in our books. Um, was there any opposition to to uh, bringing you back into consultative status within the UN? Absolutely, yes. So we, we applied, we reapplied to get the status 11 years ago. Wow. And in 11 years, the NGO committee at the UN never allowed a vote on our application. But every time they met, they would send us another question about our application and some of these questions. So I they would ask one question a year of your of your application? Let's say three questions a year because they would meet about three times. Couldn't that have been taken care of in like a phone call? Yes, but of course that wasn't the point. <laughs> the point was to make sure that we never actually got a vote on our application and we just got stuck in this bureaucratic process forever. Um, so what finally happened just yesterday actually is that some friendly countries picked our application out of the pile and said, we're not gonna break this cycle and we're gonna force the whole Economic and Social Council of the UN to vote on this. And they did, and we won 24 to 12 with 11 abstentions. So it was fairly close <laughs> in my understanding, but. Well, yeah. I mean, if it's uh, 24 to 12, oh, or was that, does that mean that there were 35 potential yes votes, but 11 uh, abstained, so you only won by 12 votes. Uh, well, you still got two to one. I mean, that's a pretty good, that, that's a that's a fair representation of, I think, what you guys are 
uh, represent to the global community, because as my listeners are very intimately familiar with, because we do talk about CSI and we are advocating for slave liberation. And now that Sound of Freedom and other things in the culture are drawing attention to human trafficking and human slavery again, I hope that we we, we get many, many more slaves freed than what our goal is. But um, friends, if you're listening to this and saying, yeah, there's no reason why CSI shouldn't be part of the UN. You just got to remember a lot of the bad countries have lots of representation at the UN. The UN oftentimes comes off as doing more of the work for the bad countries than it does for the good countries. It just in very general, broad parlance, that's what I would argue uh, sometimes the UN's ultimate outcome has been. It is nice to see that CSI has been reinstated. Um, Joel, when let me, let me hone in on Sudan just for a second. I know that at the peak, there were about 185,000 enslaved Christians um, in the North. And I know that CSI, well before I started working with you, but I know that in the years we've worked together uh, and before, all combined, I think about 135, 140,000, something like that have been liberated. Um, I do think we're getting close. And I think. And what's really disturbing world. is that when all the world community global leaders came together, they were fine unsettling the war. They didn't want to touch the slaveries, uh, slavery Absolutely. issue. They didn't want to liberate the slaves. And I know that the U.S. was part of this. And I know that Dr. Eibner was very, very key in pulling all this together. But it wouldn't have taken that much more effort by the global community to say, okay, Sudan, as part of this settlement, you have to let the slaves go free. Absolutely, I agree. But we, we see very often in global politics today in Ukraine, today in many other places, that the, the weakest people just don't count for very much yeah. when the big powers get together and try to settle their interests. Well, friends, it's one of the reasons why I am so passionate about CSI. It's one of the reasons why I'm going to continue to advocate from this microphone for the liberation of slaves, uh, because we, we can't stop until every one of them are out. And that's what the slaves say when they get liberated. They come to the CSI staff and they say, thank you. Thank you to the Christians who gave and got us out. Now, don't stop until they're all released. Joel Veldkamp, uh, International Communications Director for CSI. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Kevin. God bless you. Kevin McCullough coming right back from New York. Stay here. Ready or not, he'll be right back. That Kevin. Serving it up with a no-drink minimum. It's that Kevin Show. Ladies and gentlemen, back in the music spotlight stage from her brand new rock and roll album, here is the most beloved woman in America, Dolly Parton.
six months ago from her new, brand new, fully published work that's all rock and roll classics. Uh, Kevin McCullough, so thankful to have you with us for that Kevin show this week and hope you'll join us again next week, same place and time. We'll see you then.